welcome to How You Spend Your Days. The goal of this show is to explore debt, break down the stigma around talking about money, and share my own journey of becoming debt-free. My name is Colin Loretz, and today I am joined by Monica Thompson. Uh, We've been good friends for a long time, and uh, the impetus for getting her on the show was uh, actually an Instagram post uh, about her paying off her adventure wagon. So uh, welcome to the show, Monica. Thank you for having me. So um, let's start there. Let's talk about maybe uh, why you posted that in the first place and just kind of uh, we'll get into a little bit of your relationship with money in general. But I think it's really cool that people are celebrating those wins of, you know, paying off a, a debt of some kind and being able to like fully own the thing that they've been using for so long. Yeah, I mean, I think it's something to share um, just because when you have debt, everybody kind of hides it. Um, and it's not something that people openly talk about. Um, but when you pay off your debt and like you said, you actually own something, um, you want to share it with people because it is an accomplishment. Um, I had had my Land Cruiser, a 2004 used, um, I bought it two years ago in 2016. Um, I had traded in my, uh, little Forester for it. Um, and yeah, I, only paid, I think, 14000 which in perspective isn't a lot for what most people pay for their cars. Um, and I had a plan to pay it off in two years because I really hate having debt. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up paying it off by making extra payments per month. Um, and then when my boyfriend moved into our house, um, putting that rent towards the payments, so paid a lot per month. Um and yeah, I just ended up paying it off super fast. Um, the bank, whenever I would go in, would you know question why I was paying off s- so much because uh, I was putting I think thirteen hundred towards it every month instead of I think it was two seventy five, which was the payment. Um, right. But yeah, I think just for me, really not having debt um, is really important, just because I know financial vulnerability is a thing. Um, and I own a house too. Mm-hmm. So making sure that the less, the less payments I have on credit cards or a car, uh, the more financially stable I'll be. Cause I really don't want to get in a situation if, you know, I ever lost my job or was in, you know, got injured and had a huge medical bill or something. Like just the, the less debt I have, the more um, right. chance I have to get out of, you know, any situation. Yeah. And if you had paid minimum payments, how long was it going to take? Um, so I think I got my loan for four years, um, and my interest rate was only 5%. So it was pretty low. Um, I went through a great basin. So I told my boyfriend when he went to go buy his car that he should always go to the bank first and get his loan. Because if you go through the company, the automobile company, they make a cut. Um, whatever so loans, so you pay more. Um, on top of like them pushing gap insurance, which you never need, and all that kind of bullshit. Um, so I knew that going into it, just because I had bought a car before mm-hmm. and I had some lessons learned. Um, I ended up going through financing through the um, the company and having I think it was a like ten percent interest rate or something, and then looked online after the fact of how to like refinance and then yeah. learn more about the do's and don'ts of buying a car. Um, and yeah, definitely you should always go through a credit union or some other bank before you walk in the door to to yeah. buy a car. That's smart. I mean, I think a lot of people in the financial independence community, they go back and forth on this as to whether or not, you know, most car loans tend to be lower interest rate. And so it's not as bad as consumer debt. 
um, like with a credit card, but um, the added benefit is like the car is your utility, right? You probably need it to get to work if you're in a bigger city that doesn't have good public transportation. And so, you know, yeah, it's debt. And this is where everyone gets into like, you know, not all debt is the same kind of bad. It's still debt. You still owe somebody. But if that debt allows you to get to work, to then make the money to pay off the car and pay off your house and all these other things, then then it's probably worth it. Totally. And so. I think people have different priorities too. Like for me, I'd rather buy a used car that has, you know, 150,000 miles on it. That's still a really nice car. Then go out and buy a brand new car that's, right. you know, 25,000, 35,000. Just because I can afford it, the bank says I can afford it, doesn't mean that you should yeah. go and spend that Yeah, I mean, you'd be making those payments for a lot longer. Totally. Um, and then, like, I know you like to go camping, so you're going to be taking this thing out into the, you know, mm-hmm. backcountry anyway. And I have three dogs, and they get <laughs> their hair and their grossness yeah, all over so the do place. do you want a brand new car for that? Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> and, you know, everybody probably knows, like, once you buy a new car and then you drive it off a lot, it immediately depreciates. Yeah. So your car most of them don't hold their value right? or you're never going to have equity like you have with a house. Right. So really buying a used car is the smartest thing to do. Um, and I learned that from uh, lessons learned as well. Like when I moved back from studying overseas, I went to the car dealership with my parents um, because I had no idea how to buy a car and they have really poor financial habits. So they are constantly going out and trading and, and buying new cars, mm-hmm. like brand new cars. So they encouraged me to buy a 2011 Forester, which I didn't need. Um, it was a really nice car, um, but I didn't need a $19,000 car payment when I was just going to graduate school. Right. Ended up buying it anyways and purchased it through the car dealership and got that high interest rate. And so I had this huge monthly payment and it was terrifying for... I guess I had it for three years um, and just hated it. So once I realized, oh, like I could trade this in and get a bigger car, a better car, um, and have a lower payment uh, going through a credit union, that's kind of what I decided to do. So have you learned all of your financial, I guess, uh, habits this way, like the hard way? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I grew up with really poor financial habits. Um, My parents spoiled me growing up. um, So I always just thought like money fell from trees. Like they didn't teach me how to manage money. They didn't teach me like about anything to do with interest rates or when you have a loan or when you should get a loan. Um, So initially, like when I started college, um, I got the millennial scholarship. So I didn't have to pay for school for the first two years. And then when I decided to study overseas, my parents um, said that they would pay for my school if I paid for my way to live over there. Um, So that was really nice. And so I graduated with no college debt, which unfortunately, a lot of people don't have that luxury. Um, It's something that I really appreciate my parents doing for me. um, And I was very fortunate. But when I did learn how or like when to take on debt, like buying a new car, I had no idea how to do it. And so my parents just taught me what they knew, which was, oh, you just go to the car dealership and you find a car that you like and then you buy it and then you get a loan, which like there are a lot of better ways to go about doing it than I learned after I purchased and just researched online and looked at people doing it the right way. Well, and these are the things that you don't learn in school. um, But I think we all, even even graduating high school, it's like if you decide to go to college or not, you're probably going to eventually need to buy a car. If you're going to even start renting, it's like a lot of people don't know the difference between renting and buying. And obviously, 
you know, when you're probably graduating high school, you're not in a position to buy a house, but you know, um, just these common things about the trade-offs of renting and buying, leasing or purchasing a car at the, you know, uh, dealership or going to a credit union ahead of time. Uh, my car I bought uh, on Craigslist actually. And so, you know, similar thing. I think it's getting harder and harder to do today. Like I'd probably go to CarMax or, or something like that instead today, just because, you know, I don't know cars that well to know if I'm buying a good mm-hmm. one. <laughs> um, but getting used is obviously a great thing. And like, you know, I take the foreigner out to the desert, would not do that with a brand new car ever. So, um, so that, that makes it something that you actually want to use. Like it's a utility, it's a, a tool to use. So yeah, I think you have to know that going into it too. Like you can't just say, Oh, I'm just going to go shop around and see what the dealership has. Like you have to really have your priorities in place and know the kind of car that you want. Yeah. And not also window shopping. not window shopping <laughs> and like understand, like look at Kelly blue book and see what the car value is. Um, I love going into dealerships and haggling with them um, mm-hmm. just because I know the game. Um, yeah. So I like going in there and knowing what I should be getting for a car um, and knowing that you shouldn't ever get gap insurance and then always reading the fine print. Like I'll be in when I bought my Land Cruiser, I was in the dealership for like two hours just mm-hmm. reading all the paperwork just because you have to. And I caught a lot of things that I think most people wouldn't catch right. because they're just like signing papers. Just Well, that's a common thing. So it sounds like when you were in the bank paying off these payments, they were wondering why you were doing that. And it's something that most people don't do. Mm-hmm. Same for reading the fine print, same for like really, you know, checking to see like, what am I getting mm-hmm. for my money? And so, you know, with that kind of habit, um, how has that helped you in terms of like your relationship with money today and how you, how far you've come uh, in kind of learning that? Um, I'm a, definite pain in the ass whenever I go like into a bank or even um, I just refinanced my mortgage. Um, I refinanced from a 30 year to a 20 year. And again, just like reading all the fine print, making sure that everything that they're saying lines up with what you want, Mm -hmm. um, because sometimes they default to certain aspects of a loan that you never agreed to. Um, So even though it frustrates the hell out of banks or whoever is going to give you the loan. Um, it's really important that you watch out for yourself yeah. and that you know what to look for when you're going into it. Um, so I think it's just helped me get better deals and be more financially knowledgeable. Yeah. Yeah. So you described uh, growing up having poor financial habits. How would you describe that relationship with money today in terms of uh, maybe talk a little bit about how you do use credit cards if you do. Um, it sounds like you have a mortgage um, and then you have the cars paid off so you don't have that anymore. So how does that look for you today? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm in a pretty good financial situation and that came from a long journey of, you know, having a lot of credit card debt, having uh, car debt. Um, so I think just learning that I don't want to be beholden to you know, a bank and a loan. Whenever I see a notification on my phone, like I have to check it and I have to get rid of it. It's kind of like that for debt for me when I see like, oh, I checked my Wells Fargo credit card and I have a thousand dollars. I have to pay it off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a habit I've gotten into of not wanting to see debt anywhere um, under my name. So the goal for me is to not necessarily retire early, uh, but just to not be financially vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I don't want to ever have to lose my house because I have too much debt or I don't ever want to not be able to go on an adventure because I have too much debt and I'm scared that I'm going to acquire more. Yeah. I mean, that was the big issue, um, in 2008, 2009. I mean, people 
owed more on their houses than they could sell it for. Mm -hmm. And so even if there was an opportunity to go get a job in another city that would pay them more, they couldn't sell their house. Yeah, my parents uh, did a short sale. Mm -hmm. Um, They lived up in D'Andrea, which tanked. It was the golf course in Sparks that ended up tanking. And so their home value went down substantially and they had a short sell on their house. And that was I saw that and I was like, man, when I buy a house, that's one thing that I don't want to right. ever happen to me. Um, obviously, you can't predict those kind of things, but you can put yourself in a better financial yep. situation to avoid having to short sell or, you know, just have too much debt that you can't support yourself in that right. situation. Yeah. And I mean, right now, like when I look at my situation, it's, you know, as a freelancer, I have, um, and this is something that's public for all the people listening, uh, if they've been listening for a while, is that like I'm putting 2500 a month towards some kind of debt, whether it's the IRS or credit cards. And I get excited to what freelancing looks like when that doesn't happen, right? On the other side of that, where that gets to stay in my bank account or go into retirement accounts and things like that. Um, because that means I have to, no matter what, if the economy tanks or, you know, whatever happens, I have to still clear that 2,500. Obviously those aren't minimum payments. That's more than what I should be paying if the banks want me to stay, you know, under them forever. And that's, that's obviously not what I want to do either. Um, but I think if I had done minimum payments forever, like, yeah, my monthly, you know, debt service amount would be much lower, but I would be in it for, Five, six, seven. I mean, that's the same thing with a mortgage. Mm -hmm. Um, When I bought my house, I bought it by myself, paid for it by myself. My parents didn't help me. Um, But I also had no idea how to buy a house. And I just jumped into it and didn't really realize what a mortgage loan looked like or what I should what would be better financially for me. Mm -hmm. So I ended up getting um, a first time home buyer um, loan. But that meant that I had to have a 5% um, interest rate because a first time first home buyer program was set up if they paid for 5% or 3% of your down payment and you Mm -hmm. paid for the rest, that would be your interest rate. So I had a really high interest rate on my house, ended up doing a 30-year. So even though my payments were low-ish, I had PMI on my house, Mm -hmm. um, which meant that I I couldn't cover the 80% of the equity uh, on my house. And so I had to have the um, insurance on the home. So I was paying, I think, eighteen seventy five a month for my mortgage, which was a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when I refinanced, I'm at a three point one percent interest rate uh, on a twenty year, and right. I'm paying sixteen ninety nine, um, which is great. And I have a lot of equity in my house, and I know a lot of people right now are looking to take out some of that equity. Mm-hmm. So I know some people who have taken out like. and done repairs on their homes. But that just means that instead of your home loan being $300,000, it's $330,000 now and you haven't really paid off anything on your house. In fact, you owe more. So So you lowered that a little bit, but you also shortened it by 10 years. Shortened it by 10 years and didn't fall to the like um, trap of like taking out money Um, Mm -hmm. because they offered that to me. They're like, well, you have $80,000 in equity on your house right now. Like, don't you want to take out, you know, 15,000, 20,000 and do any home repairs that you want? And I was like, "Uh, like that sounds nice. (laughs) But at the same time, not really, because that means I haven't paid off anything on my house and I'm stuck in another 30 year. Right. You get stuck at square one again. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think again, being able to one, have, you know, people like you talk about this publicly so that people know that, you know, one, that what the banks want us to do is 
might be what everyone does, but that's not what we all have to do um, is important because, you know, at the end of the day, um, we always talk about it on the show, right? It's how you spend your days. It's like, how do you want to live, you know, every week? Mm -hmm. Do you want to go to work every day just so you can pay for the house that you're living in? You know, obviously there's, at the end of the day, you need that. um, But there is more to that, right? And we talked before we started um, just about, you know, being able to enjoy life as it's happening and not, you know, push off all of that until you retire. Mm-hmm. Um, and something else I just learned too, like as I'm refinancing my house and learning more, um, including your, um, your mortgage pay- your, um, mortgage insurance and your, uh, property taxes into escrow, into your loan uh, overall loan mm-hmm. is not the best thing to do. Um, so I've taken out escrow out of my loan because if you are able to pay like your property taxes on time, uh, which is super easy, you pay once every quarter mm-hmm. basically, and you can call Washoe County and they can tell you when your payments are going to be. Um, so you manage paying your own property taxes. And if you manage ma- paying your own insurance, um, it just makes more sense. Mm-hmm. And that also brings down your monthly payment for your, um, for your home loan doesn't bring down your monthly payment for your insurance or your property taxes. But if you're paying it yourself, uh, you know how much is going towards those payments. Uh, You don't have somebody else managing that Mm -hmm. for you. So you have more control over that, which I think makes more sense than just like giving it to the bank. No. And that was important with, um, I think Lindsay and Nicole both brought this up when they were talking about student debt, where oftentimes you make a payment to the company that you get it from and they don't always pay the highest interest rate first. So they're putting away towards maybe the lowest balance or whichever one they feel like mm-hmm. is going to make them the most money and that's not in your best interest. And mm-hmm. so even know, that- doing like bi-weekly payments too. Mm-hmm. I realized you can do bi-weekly payments, but you're paying off basically like one payment uh, one monthly payment a year. Mm-hmm. So over the life of a loan, you know, if it's a 20 year, then you're paying off at least a couple of years of, of yeah. your loan just by doing a, a biweekly payment. Yeah. And I think that um, is also helpful if you're doing credit cards or a mortgage mm-hmm. in terms of um, credit reporting too. It just makes you look better in their eyes, which is totally always good if you're trying to rebuild your credit um, mm-hmm. or get a higher credit score and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. It's interesting too. Like uh, my boyfriend, he had no credit when we first met. Um, so he's starting to learn like how to gain credit and the better practices to make sure you stay on the right side of, um, the mm-hmm. credit card people. Um, so he's paying his credit cards on time. He's paying his auto bills on time, which when we first met, like he didn't want to take on any, um, like auto debt, but he mm-hmm. also had a car that was not working very well. Right. So. Yeah, it's the, what is it, the penny-wise, pound-foolish type of thing. Uh-huh. It's like, I know a lot of people who sink money into their cars to keep them limping along when they could just get a car that is reliable. Mm-hmm. And, and get a car, like, at a good price, too. You can get really nice used cars today mm-hmm. that are under $15,000. Yeah. So. so with all these things that you've been learning, what's your, like, go-to resource in terms of, like, where did you learn about the stuff for your car and, and for your <laughs> Google. Google. Just Googling everything um, and making sure that I look at the source of where the information is coming from. Because if it comes from a bank, obviously they have an agenda. But if you get it from, you know, some other resource or some other source that doesn't have an agenda or mm-hmm. uh, they're not sponsored by a specific person, then right. you can get more truthful. Yeah, there are a lot of like, um, I forget what they call them, like advertainment type things mm-hmm. where it's like, 
an advertisement and an article. Um, yeah. But it was sponsored by a bank. Even things like Nerd Wallet's good. I like Nerd Wallet, but they're also they have partners mm-hmm. and sponsors, so you have to. Right. Yeah, they make money from credit card signups and mm-hmm. mortgages and things like that too. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean it's tricky, right? It's like how do you pay for content creation and and news and things like that when totally. When people don't want to pay for it directly. But Google's a great resource. Like, I don't really listen to podcasts. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'm going to listen to this one. <laughs> um, but I think Google is the best place to go if you're looking for quick information and to do some research. Yeah, definitely. And talking to people that you know that are in those industries. Um, so my brother is a, a mortgage loan person. And I don't know why I didn't go to him when mm-hmm. I got my home loan. I think I just wanted to keep family and, like, right. my own personal finances separate. Um, just to keep things simple. And I definitely should have talked to him before like I got my first mortgage Yeah, even loan. just to ask questions and things. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, so it sounds like Google is your friend for that. Um, I know a lot of people, you know, like you mentioned Kelly Blue Book, which is also a really good one if you want to find out like what your car is worth or mm-hmm. the car that you're looking at might be worth. Um, just to make sure, especially if you're doing something like Craigslist or, you know, CarMax or whatever, just to totally. make sure that that lines up uh how do you use credit cards in your day-to-day life yeah so i have a couple credit cards i have a west elm credit card that i love uh because the points i get back are amazing so i'll make like a big purchase once a year so i got a couch last year and got like a 100 bucks back from west elm and i use that to put towards getting a new dining table um so i love my west elm card Mm -hmm. and i only use it for big purchases every once in a while um so i don't use it every month or anything I have my Wells Fargo credit card that I use um, probably a couple times a month um, if I'm just looking to build like my cash back or just like don't want to use money that's in my bank, but then I'll just pay it off super fast. Mm-hmm. So I don't make any big purchases with that card at all. I have a Chase credit card that um, I used to really like for points. Um, they have some pretty cool um, partnerships with like... Um, Foot Locker and some other stores that I used to like getting some cash back for those kind of stores. Um, and I use that very sparingly as well. I think I used it to buy my first couch way back when I lived uh, in my first condo f- four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, I don't use them that often. Um, I'll use them either West Elm for big purchases or um, for data, data stuff just to keep my credit going right. and yeah. build up my credit score and stuff like that. Perfect. Yeah, no, that's... that's uh Sounds very healthy. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, and I know that my situation isn't the same as everybody else's. You know, some people use them for survival sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, because they have other stuff that they need to use, like their um, cash for cash for. Um, but yeah, I think I'm fortunate to not have like student debt. And I know that I know that so many people have crazy outrageous student debt and other debt that. Yeah. You know, it's it's really hard to pay off and it takes a long well, time. Well, but I mean, using credit cards for survival does not help if you're in that situation. Then no. I've, I've learned that, right? So mine came from, um, you know, when we stopped paying ourselves and I put things on credit cards to survive with that idea that, oh, we'll just take care of this next year. And then next year turned into many years. Um, and unfortunately, those interest rates are awful for that, too. So Oh, yeah, like 18%, know. 20%. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, and looking back, I don't. I mean, I should have probably just gotten, I mean, it still is not great, but I should have gotten a loan or something from a bank because at the time, I had great credit, had no debt. 
Um, but instead, you know, it was like, oh, this will just be for a few months. I'll put my utilities on the credit card. And some people do that, right? They put all their fixed expenses on credit cards. And then as soon as they're paid, they wipe it out so that they get to build points and credit mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But really, for most people, like playing the points game and the cashback game doesn't make any sense if you have a 26% interest rate or whatever it is. Yeah, you have to. I mean, once you use it, you basically have to plan to pay it off to make it worth it. Like you can't sit there and sit on it for right. months. Yeah, what I do those like companies is offer those those rewards Mm -hmm. because most people don't get to benefit from that. (laughs) Totally. What I do like is like PayPal credit. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have that as well. And it's uh, interest free. I have interest free on most of the stuff I get. So I'll buy clothes Mm -hmm. with PayPal credit and just like sit on that for six months just because there's no interest. If I would just want to pay off like something else sooner, like a big West Elm purchase, if I want to pay that off sooner, then I'll just sit on the PayPal credit because there's no interest. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder how PayPal makes money on that or like they give you, I think like you said, I think if people make big enough purchases, they're going to have that debt for a couple of years. They're not, it's not just going to be six months. It's going to be, Oh, so it's uh, 0% for a certain period of time. Yeah. It's only for six months. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, And I just did, I opened a new card despite having cards. Um, and it's a balance transfer card. So I'm actually, taking balance from my higher interest cards and putting it on the zero percent for 18 months um so that it buys me some time basically i'm going to pay off the highest interest card faster um i still have to pay the payment on the new card but it has zero percent interest for 18 months so um at least for me it's kind of like that um you know the psychology effect of let's get the for me it's an amex get the amex gone as fast as possible and then and then once that's gone, then those payments will start trickling over to the other card until they're all gone. And so knock on wood, end of 2020, the show will be over. <laughs> so do you have uh, like a built out plan for when you... I do. I have a pretty elaborate spreadsheet um, that I need to republish on the site because the old one that's on there now is is no longer really relevant. Um, that shows um, the current balance and then the interest rate and all that stuff. And it calculates like... Uh, so if there's any drift, like... If for whatever reason I can't pay as much as I'm hoping to, this this is like assuming twenty five hundred dollars a month, um, and for whatever reason if I don't have the income to make that, um, I'm still paying obviously all the minimums and then as much as I can to everything. Um, so it it looks like right now it's actually like February twenty twenty one, but I'm gonna hit December like it's gonna happen. So that's a pretty good goal. Yeah. I think so. I think another reason why I wouldn't want to be financially vulnerable, um, you know, if I die. Mm-hmm. So I've been um, creating my, what is it, my will mm-hmm. and testament. And I had a friend who died a couple of years ago and he didn't have one. And oh, he wow. had a house and a car payment. And his parents had to go through the trouble of like having to go through the state because he didn't leave any notification or notices to anybody of where that stuff should go so his parents does that normally flow to them no no. um so if you're if your house if in your will it's not um dedicated to a beneficiary like your family or something Mm -hmm. it goes to the state gotcha um so i wouldn't want my parents to have to deal with that so making sure that you have a really clear will of and a list of all of the items that you own. And if you have debt, how much debt you have and just letting your family know like how to deal with those mm-hmm. um, kind of things. For me, taking an inventory of 
all the things I have in my house, um, the debt that I have, um, who my mortgage should go to and my house should go to if I die. Like that's really important to me too. Mm-hmm. Um, just so my parents don't have to deal with all that shit. Right. When I die. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times when that happens, unfortunately, like it's not tidy. Like, you know, I know that, you know, things like even passwords and logins and which cards and which you uh-huh. know, all that stuff, it's in my head and it's locked away on my computer, but there's no one getting into any of that. <laughs> my mom, I send my mom um, a list of all that stuff just so she has it yeah. um, like once a quarter in case anything ever yeah, happens. That's smart. Or having something in a safe or something and, and letting mm-hmm. somebody know where that is. Yeah, totally. Because I think we just don't, obviously we're millennials, like we don't think about Mm-hmm. dying right now but anything can happen like my friend was 38 years old and mm-hmm. uh he was just out on an atv with his family and it just rolled and they you know ended up dying and you just never can plan for that kind of stuff so right. I think making sure that you set your family up for success and you know make sure that they have everything they need to take care of your your stuff definitely are there any places that you would recommend people check out or things that they should do kind of the closing words it's funny like i don't feel like i i'm a person to be telling people like how to be managing their finances just because i've come such a long way from like not knowing anything Mm -hmm. to like knowing a little bit now but still like not knowing as much as i should but i guess just go to google like if you have questions just ask the ask the google yeah, no, I mean, the same. I mean, this podcast is kind of a paradox because I'm probably the last person that people should take advice from. But uh-huh. I've also learned so much in doing the show and digging into the, you know, not only the how I got into debt, but literally the psychology of what we have to avoid every day mm-hmm. to prevent ourselves from sinking back into it. Well, it's so funny because, like, we live in America, right? Mm hmm. So you're just, you grow up thinking that, oh, like you can use your credit card for anything and right. it's like, it goes into this magical place and you don't have to worry about it. At least that's how I grew up with my family. And like, they put everything on the credit card and my parents still do. Um, so I think we just think that credit cards are fine and right. no big deal, which if you use them properly, yeah, but most people don't know how to use credit cards. Like there's no class, like you said, in high school or yeah. college that teaches you like how to be financially responsible. That's hopefully changing, but yeah, yeah we have to break great. that cycle because I think it actually might get worse because, um, you know, the, the next generation after us, they're like not even using cards. They're It's all digital to them. So it's like playing a game. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're not even using cash. They're not using cards. They're using Square Cash and Venmo and all these things. It's really just like, you know, transactional things. And they're not necessarily thinking about, you know, building equity or building savings and all that kind of stuff. And it might, maybe it's too young for them, but like, I wish I had started back then. Uh-huh. Like, that would have been amazing. <laughs> well, like your credit starts when you get yeah. a you know, get a credit card or if you don't have any credit that impacts you and you don't learn that. Like my parents never taught me how to have good credit or what that meant for me growing up, you know, how it impacts being able to buy a house, being able to buy a car. And even, you know, if you look in China, they have now social credit. That shit's crazy too. (laughs) So Cool. Well, I guess we'll leave that with, um, if you have questions about things, definitely Google it, do the research, you know, be your, your own advocate for learning what you should be, um, getting when you go to buy a car, buy a house so that you don't just do what everyone else has done. Cause I think most of the time they do want to get you in and out and they're going to give you the, the general terms. Yeah. Do your research first. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for being on the show today, Monica. Thanks for having me. And uh, if you want to continue following the show, you can follow us uh, at How You Spend on Twitter and Instagram. We'll see you next time. Bye.
Music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. 